Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Paul Sparks with us to discuss transitioning men from prison to the community. Paul's a former inmate and now the men's transition manager at Kindway. Welcome, Paul. Good morning. Hey, um, Jack, uh, you know that uh, my practice uh, now uh, encompasses representing inmates on post-conviction matters. And I have an interesting one coming up this month that I think Paul uh, will also find interesting. Uh, This uh, gentleman um, murdered a guy when he was 17. Mm. And was sentenced to uh, 18 years to life in prison. And every so often, he gets a parole hearing to see if he can transition out of prison and, and into the community. And he's been denied now four different times. Sounds about right from my experience. All right. So he's now 30 years mm-hmm. in. He is uh, his whole adult life. He's been in prison. And we're going to have a parole hearing this month. And the difference now is is that the legislature passed a bill, Senate Bill 256, which allows the parole board, or probably in this case mandates that the parole board, consider his youth at the time of his offense. That wasn't a consideration before. Right. Um, so, you know, we're obviously focusing on those types of issues as to, uh, I know he grew up in the projects in Cleveland, ninth grade education, couldn't read, or, oh. um, but since he's been in prison and, and I hope Paul can talk about, uh, how, um, uh, the prison can help in this transition. Um, he's done a lot. Uh, the problem he has is that he has a not too good institutional record. And that seems to be the hurdle each time he's been up for appeal. They call those, if I'm not mistaken, Paul, they call those tickets. <laughs> yes. So uh, a lot of stuff there, Paul. Maybe you can help us. Um, first, give us some of your background, your bona fides in this area. I said that you were an inmate once. Uh, maybe you can start with what happened there. Well, um, yeah, I'm uniquely qualified for my job, as my boss uh, mentioned. Uh, she... Um, offered me this job after I went through this program that I work for now. Um, I went through season four of the Conway Embark uh, reentry program and uh, stayed connected. Prior to that, I was um, on my fourth penitentiary number. Uh, I've spent 13 years incarcerated uh, in four trips. Um, Sadly to say, the time between trips was more of prison than the time in prison. Um, Unlike your friend, uh, I would come to prison and do exceptionally well. Uh, do great in a structured environment. It was only when I um, came home that I couldn't make wise decisions. Uh, most of that was uh, motivated by substance abuse. And um, it was until I was ready to uh, accept that I cannot use or sell drugs successfully that I, I learned that I, I wasn't going to stay out of prison unless I learned that first. How many um, of these uh 
inmates or, or soon to be released um, can uh, qualify for Embark and go through the program that you went through? Uh, not a lot, um, if I'm being candid with you. We uh, are very stringent in particular about the, the men and women that we accept into the program. We're looking for people that are already preparing for their release prior to us. I want to find men who are doing anything, taking advantage of any opportunity they can find in, in the uh, prison system to propel them into a successful transition. So I'm looking for men to go to college, uh, participate in religious activities, um, do other programming, and, uh, you know, very importantly, stay out of trouble, stay ticket-free. Um, Why is that so important? And I, I ask that in all sincerity. It's, uh, for example, some of the tickets this gentleman got were because he wore his baseball cap backwards. It seems to be kind of petty, but then again, it's a rule, and obviously he knows it's a rule. Well, that's just it. At some point, a man has to accept that he doesn't make the rules, that the rules are out there, and um, he can affect change for those rules if he goes through the proper channels. Um, unfortunately, in prison, that change process is next to impossible. Um, and that's because... It's a penile structured, penal, excuse me, structured environment. And, and they, uh, they make the decisions and it's up to the offender to follow the rules. Uh, and part of rehabilitation is demonstrating the ability to follow the rules. One of his uh, arguments that I've uh, cautioned him against making to the parole board is trying to excuse his behavior and, but I do find it a valid um, excuse, so to speak, or explanation that not all the prison guards enforce the rules. And then some of them do for personality conflicts or petty reasons. Did you find that to be true when you were there? Sure. Uh, just like in the community. I mean, not all the police are going to pull me over for doing 78 and a 70, but there are some that will. Uh, you you, you learn about the personality of, of the, uh, the officers that oversee you. And personally, I always said I like the a-hole better than the guy that I don't know because at least I know what to expect with him. So um, I, uh, I, I, you know, and, and so does your friend and, and any other man that, that's living in that environment. So we are working on a... Um re-entry plan for him um would love to hear your thoughts about what that should include uh you mentioned um showcasing what he's done while he's in prison and he has a pretty good resume he's learned some trades he's uh he does uh, uh his religion is a big part of his life now um he's got a fiance does that hurt or help him in re-entry it depends if she came before or after the incarceration. Uh, at 30 years, I'm going to guess she came after the incarceration. Right. Uh, the board doesn't tend to look favorably on those relationships. Um, and I'll tell you why. They, for the most part, are unhealthy relationships. He, he really doesn't bring anything to the table, and the board knows that. And nine times out of ten, those relationships fail when they come to the community. 
So if his plan is to go stay with my fiance, the board's going to probably be like, no. Uh, and I do think that's part of his plan. Now, what about uh, employment? Is that a must? So employment is number one. Uh, we tell our guys in the program, you need Jesus in a job. Um, and you're coming from a 24-7 structured environment. The best thing you can do is structure your life around a 40-hour work week as quickly as possible. Idle time is the devil's playground. I mean, he, he's in big, big trouble by himself. Uh, so developing a community and developing a, a, a industrious work life are key to stepping back into the community. Does your organization get involved in the parole process at all? Do people that are uh, coming up for a parole uh, hearing utilize any of your uh, services to convince the parole board that, you know, that their, their transition is going to be successful? Yes. So uh, we're, I personally, being a transition manager, when I have a man getting ready to come up for parole, I will interview him. Uh, about two months before his parole hearing, uh, I will ask him a series of questions and develop a letter to the parole board. Then I will reach out to the parole board and ask to be a part of what's called their family conference. Well, I will then meet with a parole board member with some of his family, and we will tell the parole board what his support network looks like and what the plans for him are um, on our behalf. And um, sometimes I'll go up and a family member will be like, oh, that sounds great, but we can do all that for him at home. And the beauty of our program is that the board is like, no, he's way better off if he goes to Kindway Embark because our network is established and our track record is pretty good. Jack, I'm sorry I've hijacked our uh, conversation, but I wanted to pick up some pointers uh, from Paul so that I can um, represent this gentleman with the other thing, uh, Paul, is that the um, victim had a daughter 30 years ago who's now 30 years old. Or, or She was seven or eight at the time her dad was shot and killed. And she's writing a letter on his behalf. How important do you think that will be to the, uh, to the board? In my experience, when victims advocate for release is always good. Um, I would say that's the best thing he has going for him because victim opposition is almost always at least once a guaranteed pound of flesh from the offender. Mm. In your uh, case, if, if you don't mind sharing, did you get paroled or did you serve your time and, and get released? So on my first penitentiary number, I, I was a parolable offense, old law offense. And at that time, the parole board had a set of guidelines that they had to follow. Um, X amount of time for X amount of offense, tickets at this time, so forth and so on. And it was a, just like a grid. Mm -hmm. So I did a what was a, a four to 10 indefinite sentence. And I went up and actually was furloughed out um, six months prior to my four years to a halfway house, which was comp drug at the time on at the YMCA here downtown. And then um, you didn't do too well, you were saying. Um, I, I Honestly, I came back to that halfway house and uh, uh, blew numbers for alcohol after a weekend pass, went and spent the rest of my furlough time in the county jail, 
thinking, oh man, I'm going to go back and do this other six years. And um, because of those guidelines, they still let me out. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I look back and I say, well, they just knew I was coming back. So it's like, let's go ahead and get him out so we can get him back. Um, and and I did great, again, through the parole. Back then, a parole was only 13 months. Um, but as soon as the parole was over, I was back off to the races. Mm-hmm. I was like licensed to go and pick up substance again. And I think you got to explain that when you're on parole, you're reporting regularly to a parole officer. So you're being held accountable. That's what made the difference, right? Absolutely. The accountability makes a huge difference. That's why I tell our men, the parole officer works for you. Your successful transition is their job. So do what they tell you. Jack was telling us a um, um, funny, I guess now, story about when you were caught once do you, you mind sharing that either one of you because i i uh you look back now and I, i'm 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 sure at the time it was you know uh, not not so funny no <laughs> go ahead so uh my last penitentiary number which was um nine eight the beginning of it was nine eight of 2011 um i was running uh what we on the streets call a trap house um basically because of the police come you're trapped in there and um uh I had it all wired up like like it was an episode of Big Brother. I mean, I had cameras everywhere, so I thought, I'm going to know they're coming. And uh, I did. I knew they were coming, but I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't get out of the house. So I just started working on damage control. I'm trying to, you know, hide the dope, hide the guns. And um, I worked my way all the way up to the attic. And I was going to go out on the roof, but I didn't know that the daggone window was nailed shut. <laughs> so I, I bury myself and... Um, you know, I was much leaner then. Uh, scrawny would be the word. Um, I was about 160 pounds, so I I dug, burrowed this little spot. We had the old lattice or lath walls and plaster, and I buried myself between the 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 rafters and covered myself up with insulation. Um, the SWAT team still found me, um, and they drug me out of there covered in insulation, and. Um, you know, and I knew I was caught. I mean, I knew they knew who they were looking for, but I was just trying to buy time, mm-hmm. you know. I think the moral of the story, of course, is not to get involved in drugs. And then the second story is if you do get involved in drugs, have a better plan B than you had. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so tell us um, a little more specifics then about the, the program that um, that you're offering um, these inmates. Um it's actually a, a lot of education and, and things like that, right? Yes, sir. So we we offer three specific programs throughout a year of the Kindway Embark Reentry Program. Um, and what we offer is uh, Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christ-centered uh, 12-step program. But it also it deals with more than just substance. It deals with uh, what, what they say is hurts, ham- hang-ups, and excuse me, habits. And... Um, so, so it could be codependency, it could be uh, porn or sex addiction, or um, it digs really deeply into uh, traumas that have affected the lives of the men, uh, but it only works as well as the person taking the program allows it to work. Then we do a cognitive behavioral therapy program called Getting It Right. It's written by the change companies. It's a secular program, um, and uh, it just deals with um, changing 
thought process and identifying possible negative consequences for any actions and taking a look at um, negative self-talk and uh, how we interact in our communication, explains how communication works, body language, aggressive, passive-aggressive, um, assertive, uh, passive forms of communication. And it, it also focuses on listening skills and empathy and um, understanding how our actions may affect others that, that we interact with. And then we do a uh, Billy Graham discipleship program. Um, if it isn't obvious, we are unapologetically Christian program. Um, Christ is the focal point of what we do. And like uh, my director of development likes to remind me, if we're not discipling, we're not really not doing our job. So uh, we also offer these programs to general population, but not as part of the Embark program and not as a package like we do for the men in the Embark program. At, at the risk of sounding like a cheerleader for Embark, and perhaps I shouldn't be embarrassed about sounding like a cheerleader, I have sat through parole hearings with members of the general population who are not part of Embark. And it's, I've done it, I think, three, maybe four times. And it for me, it's stressful because these men, God bless them, are like lost sheep. They just don't have a sense of A, where they are, and B, what they need to do to get out of prison. And it's they're remarkably different from the men we have in Embark. So when I do this parole hearing with non-Embark men, I just brace myself for a bad day. I mean, seriously, it's it's just tough to see the difference. So is Embark then a prison-based program, or is it um, start in prison and then finish outside of prison if they get released? Uh, it's, it, it starts in prison. Uh, we meet with men for about 10 months prior to their release, sometimes up to a year or two. And uh, we walk with them for at least a year after they're released. We have a transition house out on the east side, just outside of Bexley. And we um, will transition men when they're released there. Uh, I oversee the house. And um, that's when the real work begins. That's when it's, uh, it's go time. We work on getting identification, making sure they're employable, getting them to job interviews, teaching them to drive, uh, helping them navigate the bus systems, um, showing them how to go through a self-checkout, uh, simple things like that, how to navigate a telephone. Um, most of these men didn't see smartphones. Uh, the prison has helped in that a little bit. They've started issuing men tablets to do their correspondence with and their, their, their phone calls with. So they're starting to develop a knowledge of that. Paul, this has been a great conversation, and what we'd like to do is just take a break and come back and finish it, this up with you next week. Would that be okay with you? Oh, I'd be happy to come back. Okay, great. Our thanks also to WOSU and our sound engineer, Dalton Jones. If you like what you've heard today, please tell a friend. We want this show to be more than just us. We'd like it to be all of us. We'll be back in another week or so with another important social justice issue. Until then, so long.